0: Boag World is brought to you by Headscape.co.uk in association with Getsignoff.com and the Website Owners Manual. On this week's show, ten harsh truths about your corporate website. Ryan reviews free agents, and Paul highlights the difference between print and the web. Hi, Paul. How
1: are you doing? Hi, Paul. How are you? Hello, Paul. Hi,
2: Paul. Hi, Paul and Marcus. step up, BoeingWorld.com podcast. Boeing World! Hello and welcome to the 100th episode of Welcome to the 153rd episode of the world-famous, award-winning BoagWorld.com, the podcast for all those involved in designing, developing and running websites on a daily basis. My name's Paul Boag.
0: And my name is Marcus Lillington. And it's a joy to have you here, Marcus. And I'm going to have, I'm going to take that snippet of what you just said and it's going to go on the music so it happens on every show. No. (laughs) But
2: you have no control
0: over that whatsoever.
2: I I, I know I have no control over it, but I can guarantee it won't happen. Because I'm too lazy. Exactly. <laughs> yes, yes, I know that you'll never actually get round to doing that. So here we are again. That's not true though. Why? Because I'm going to have to
0: edit, edit this and get it out there today. So I might remember.
2: Oh, of course, because you're going away, aren't you? Yeah, I forgot. Yes, I'm off. Day. Which is why we're recording this show on a Friday rather than on a Monday, because Marcus mm. is is waltzing around. So there will on be, be. And and once
0: again as a, as. A, <laughs> As has happened previously, yeah. the
2: most important news stories in the web
0: ever on yes. Tuesday.
2: Yes, well, well, no, even today, even because I wrote these news stories yesterday, right? Um, and there was, you know, there was the Twitter bomb, yes, yesterday, which was a very exciting news story, which I haven't included because I wrote the news stories yesterday. Oh, well, Not are. that really, that's a particularly web designy story, but very clever the way they did it. Mm. Because so basically, if you haven't already seen yesterday on Twitter, everybody started twittering "Don't click" and then this link. Right. So, of course, being the, the easily manipulable person that I am, I clicked on the link and it took me to a page with a button that said, don't click. Right. Yeah. So what did I do? I had to click on the button. And immediately it then posted to Twitter uh, um, from me saying, don't click in the URL again. And so it was getting right. passed around in a viral way. But what was interesting is how they did it. Because everybody was gonna you know, sucking, you know, going security violation blah, blah, blah. but mm. actually there was no hacking involved all they did this is a bit geeky you probably won't appreciate this very much and mm. this isn't by, by the way part of the show um, <laughs> it is it, part of the well, show the, I know you're a <laughs> to so, so this button what they did is they loaded up an iframe mm. okay which had the twitter page right, with the, URL, your, the the message already inserted in the window, which you can do easily enough just through a, a, a query and a URL. Um, and presuming you were logged in already, so, so the, the the window was positioned over the top of the, this iframe was positioned over the top of the button mm. so that the submit button within the Twitter page was on top of the button in the real page, and then they set the opacity to zero. Mm. So it was invisible. So when you click, thought you were clicking on the "Don't Click" button, you were actually clicking on the "Submit" button for Twitter, uh, which I thought was very clever. So there we go. Apparently, everybody in the in the chat room is finding that boring. Okay, let's. I was just pretending to look interested. Well, I think it's, I'm interested in things like that. Housekeeping. Anyway, I wanted to follow up on the consultancy clinic idea I mentioned a few episodes ago. Um, So we talked about this idea of potentially doing kind of one-to-one chargeable Skype calls for those that wanted some advice about their website. Um, And partly because I get so many requests for help and I'm unable to answer them all, which is a bit frustrating. Um, And the consultancy clinic idea would enable me to do that while at the same time keeping Chris happy. Because we would charge for it,
0: uh, you've been called all sorts of names internally about this one, haven't you?
2: Yes, I've been called a whore. <laughs> <laughs>
0: which it's I think I, I think they were thinking it was just going into your pocket, which it, which it is really, isn't it?
2: Yes, it's, it straight into a, Paul's pocket, just into my pocket. So, yes, there we go. Um, so, yes, the, so basically, we're going to do this idea, and I have set up a, um, a consultancy clinic website that you can check out at headscape.co.uk forward slash clinic. The real reason I'm mentioning it, however, is because um, this kind of kicked off a whole um, blog post from me about a, brow- a graded browser support, which I did talk about a few weeks ago on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but you said you wanted an example, you wanted to see it in action. Mm-hmm. So now you can. Um, so basically that site is built with that in mind and it kind of degrades through the browser and there's a blog post associated with it as well. So you can see how that, uh, that was done and how that works. Um, so you can check out that by going to boagworld.com forward slash podcast forward slash one five three is this week's show. Yep. And there's a link to that in there. Um, so if you're interested in this whole idea of graded Browser to support, then you've got an example where you can poke around the code and see how it works. So there we go. Okay, so that's that, that's basically all my housekeeping for today. So should we do some news? Stop laughing at the chat room. <laughs> Ignore the chat room. Oh, that was quite a good one, the last one. But I won't do that. What, what are they saying? <laughs> why, why pay Paul, who has too much money anyway, <laughs> when you can find info for free on the web? Good point. Then go and find info for free on the web and stop e- emailing me. <laughs> I win either way. It's a win-win situation. Exactly. Should we move on to the news? Yeah.
1: SpotWalk.com.
2: Okay, so let's talk about news then. First thing to mention um, is something that... Well, you know that um, Paul Stanton is the guy that researches a lot on news stories. And he set up a cool little thing on Twitter again. Sorry, um, I seem to be always talking about Twitter these days. Um, if you um, uh, follow at Boag Links um, on Twitter... You can now get all of the, the interesting articles and stuff, all the news stories we talk about on the show and all those that we can't fit into the show. Um, you can get all of those via Twitter. Obviously, you can go and sign up for the RSS feed on our website, but some people might prefer Twitter instead. Mm, sorry, I must stop reading the, uh, the text. Yes, it's very annoying. <laughs> it's making me laugh. Okay, so let's talk news. Um, feature fatigue is the first conversation. Mm -hmm. that we're going to talk about. Um, This week, Jerry McGovern writes what he's called the hidden power of content. In fact, it's mainly a commentary on a Time Magazine column about buying habits, really. Um, So why do I mention this? Well, I mention it for two reasons because buying habits isn't really a kind of web design thing necessarily. But I've got two reasons for mentioning it. First, it's an interesting post, especially if you're running an e-commerce site where obviously buying habits do matter Mm -hmm. um, because it talks a lot about how product copy needs to be um, focusing um, on other things other than just features. It always seems to just list features, um, you know, uh, of the particular product. But actually, you want to cover other things like ease of use and stuff like that if you want to encourage long-term satisfaction amongst your customers. I've been looking at guitar amps. Yes. I need a new one.
0: Yes. I can't afford a new one. Mm-hmm. So, like, we're all poor, actually.
2: We are poor. Uh, yeah. What?
0: Because we do all of this stuff for free because we're nice. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> back to the point. Um, they're rubbish. Not, it's, not, it, it's a rare thing to find an e-commerce site where you get a decent description of the product. Mm, very true. And it's like, well, I can't go in and pick the bloody thing up. Yeah. So the one thing you want. And it's just madness, especially for things that cost £2,000. Yeah,
2: Exactly. Really and it, it, it it's true you know because we can't handle them because we can't try them mm. what they, what they've discovered is that people are buying on the say for a a computer for example mm. um they buy it on the basis of the list of features, you know, that it's got, you know, so-and-so mm. processor, etc., And then they get it home and, dis- you know, and it arrives and they discover that the keyboard's really awkward or something like that. Mm. And you can't tell that because you can't handle it. So it's kind of damaging satisfaction, I guess, with things that people are purchasing online.
0: But I would like to up one music site, the Gibson Guitars site. It's fantastic. Check it out, actually.
2: Why am I going to be interested? Because it's a really nice bit of web design. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. All right. The second reason that I mentioned this is because of this idea of feature fatigue, um, which is very relevant to kind of website, all website owners, really. Um, and I touched on it recently in a post that I, I posted five options when website budgets get slashed. And we always love to add more and more features to our websites, but that's not always the right decision. Um, users are often overwhelmed with features and are looking for simplicity and ease of use instead. So uh, there you go, read that post, that should inspire you and you should find that useful, at least I hope so. Right, next up, Striking Font Stacks. Try saying that fast. Easy. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Is is it because you're a bit from the West Country? It may be. Striking Font Stacks. (laughs) (laughs) Striking Font Stacks, yeah. So um, I'm very excited about typography on the web. Does that make me sad? You've been saying that for ages. Well, I'm still am. It, woohoo! I'm increasingly <laughs> excited about typography on the web, but not because of things like font embedding or SIF or any stuff like that. I'm excited about font stacks. Okay. There's a quote if I'm gonna heard I'm going to read this one. for a
0: while. Carry on talking. Well, well, no,
2: you can't just sit there reading the chat room. Why are you interested in the chat room this week? Because they're making me laugh. Okay. Perhaps it'd be really cool, wouldn't it, if in um, in iTunes it, you know you download it in the podcast, and you could download this as well, and it would you know the chat room would scroll down. So as you were what, re- listening mm. to a podcast, you could get the comments from the chat room. That would be good. I'm sure it's possible. Make yep. it happen. Oh, okay, I'll use my magic fairy techno dust. <laughs> so anyway, I'm excited about font stacks, 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 Um Yes. The great thing about font stacks is that if the user doesn't have the preferred font, then there's always alternatives, which is great. And there's a huge amount of research that's been done in this area and people have, have looked at what common fonts are installed on people's machines and the best combination of font stacks and that kind of thing. But the trouble is is the information is spread out all across the web and it's quite hard to kind of kind of get to grips with as a subject.
0: Subject: The amount of fonts on a your standard out of the box, I don't know, Dell or something, must be enormous now.
2: Yes, it is, but it's what's consistent because a lot of it's like, well, it depends whether you know Microsoft Office is installed or you know uh, what yeah. about if someone's re- running a you know Linux box or a Mac True. box or whatever True. else, so they're different fonts. Um But with font stacks, it doesn 't really matter. you can still pick them and it can degrade to something else, which is nice yeah. um what 's really great is although there 's a lot been written about it, as I said, it 's spread all over the web, but I did find a or Paul found a post this week. Um, which brings all that ooh, research and best practice together. Sorry for hitting the microphone. It's called striking websites with font stacks that inspire, and it's a great post not only because it uh, it has the latest best practice and links and stuff to font stacks. It's also got an incredibly inspiring list of examples of really cool web typography. So check that out. Mm-hmm. Okay, our final feature for today is the five top tips to beautify your HTML and enrich your content by Mike Brown over at SitePoint. HTML is a bit of a deceptive language, isn't it, really? It's amazingly simple, and even Marcus can write HTML, I'm it's guessing. A little bit, yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it takes you much longer to kind of discover the variety of ways in which it can be implemented. It can I for impl- English. You prefer English to yeah, HTML, I don't I you? do you? Yes. That's good. <laughs> um, and the trouble with the different implementations is that some of them are good and some are bad, mm. and so you can have a lot of bad practice. Um, so this post basically shares some of the best practice of working with HTML, and advice includes things like. Um, using short URLs, which actually isn't anything to do with HTML at all, but there you go. Um, being consistent in your markup, minimizing the uses of classes and IDs, adding title attributes and other metadata to enrich your content, and using comments and white space to help readability and easy maintenance. So it's good. It's really, it's a good basic stuff for beginners, um, but it's also a useful reminder for the rest of us that tend to get a little sloppy over time when you do HTML for a long period of time. Sloppiness ensues. Does it? It does. Really? Yes. Shall so, you? I think we need to make up a news story for Monday or Tuesday. Okay, uh, right. Um. What's going to happen on Monday and Tuesday? I'm going to predict that Apple is going to release a Netbook little mini laptop. And the reason I'm going to predict that is because I've just bought one and I'll be really pissed off if they
0: <laughs> do that. <laughs> no, what they're going to do, actually, they will, <coughs> it's a new piece, it's going to be a new games machine from Apple. There you go. It's going to take over the world. Could be. Could be. Or there's rumours of them doing a TV, Mm. which might be interesting. My son did say to me, why don't Apple make a game console?
2: Uh, It's uh, a good point. It's a good point. They'd do it well. Okay, so let's move on to our feature for today. Okay, so we're going to look at the 10 harsh truths about corporate websites, as Marcus stumbled over in the introduction of the show <laughs> 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 so um yes basically this this is a blog post that i put online and talks about how we all make mistakes and you know in the way we run our websites but you know as our site and our organization grows it's nice to know our mistakes change so hmm. we're not repeating the same mistakes we have all new mistakes as things become bigger and more i really complicated. like this this article because it kind of pulls
0: in all of the stuff that we've kind of been talking about about different things for years and years, and it's all like into it's one. It's all into one beautiful crafted like post.
2: It. Yes. So, um, yes, most of our clients, I guess, at Headscape are larger organisations, people like universities, big charities, public sector institutions, large companies, that kind of thing. over uh, the last seven years, as you, yeah, you basically said, you see reoccurring themes, don't mm. you? Um, re, you know, reoccurring misconceptions within these organisations. Um, so I thought I'd put them together into a little list. So let's mm. go through list because it was a smashing magazine post. So a list was required. Oh, oh we have blimey. a plane going overhead. Plane big tractor. I think we're going to be bombed. Yeah, it's gone. Oh, okay, that's good. So number one is a need for a separate web division. Now, this is something Zelman talked about ages ago. I know. For those people that criticise me in the comments, I think I actually, we've been saying this for even longer than he has. Should we claim credit? For it? <laughs> I always like claiming other ide- other people's ideas as my own, so that's good. No, I think that would be unfair. Okay, I think uh, Jeffrey probably did get there first. Should we? We'll let him have yeah. this one because it, it, he needs a bit of a, a boost, doesn't he? Bless him. <laughs> I'm so looking forward to seeing him <laughs> speak. <coughs> <coughs> when you? Oh, sound fine. Yeah. Soundbite. That'd be good. Anyway, so, yes, what is this separate web division thing? Well, it's the fact that most organizations, um, their website is either um, held within marketing or IT. Um, but this mm. inevitably leads to turf wars and internal politics and stuff like that. And how many times have we seen that? Um, so... And to be honest, web strategy isn't particularly suited to either group i t is not you know maybe great at rolling out complex systems, but they're not really suited to kind of friendly user experiences and online brands and that kind of stuff. It's basically publishing that's what it is.
0: If you own a website, then you are publishing something yeah but even but then you think you well you that- need to have you do need to have skills in in how to make that publication
2: accessible via the particular medium. yeah but also then your natural assumption is to put that in marketing but marketing's not the right place for it either and this is when we come on to what zelman said listen to this this is what zelman said The web is a conversation. Marketing, by contrast, is a monologue. Yes, true. Um, And then there's all the messy business of semantic markup, CSS, unobtrusive scripting, card sorting exercises, HTML run-throughs involving users in accessibility, and the rest of the skills and experience that don't fall under marketing's preview. So it is a lot more than publishing. Mm. And this whole business that publishing and marketing is is a monologue, while the web is a dialogue, I think is very relevant.
0: That's yes, that is particularly true. So really I still think you're more likely to find somebody who can be the editor, if you like fingers in the air, who is just listening. Um, they that person is more likely to be a marketeer than anyone else in a large organisation.
2: Possibly. But, I mean, my feeling is, is that actually, well, we kind of come on to that in a minute, but we need a, managers, we, need a, we need a united single team. And again, Zeldman, in my opinion, sums it up when he says, put them into a division that recognises that the site is not a bastardisation of the brochure, um, <laughs> nor yeah. a natural overgrowth of the group calendar. Let there be web divisions. I couldn't agree more. Very wise man. He's and
0: clever, it, isn't he? And it. it's happening. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> uh, it, it's happening more and more. We see it more and more. Uh, even if there aren't web divisions, there are people in organizations whose job it is
2: only to look after the web. Websites. Yes. And that's good. Very good. And it, if you look at our list of clients where there is an individual like that, I'm mm. thinking about WFF. Yes. You know, the, the, the guy, that is his job. Is dealing with the website. And, mm-hmm. and Matt does that. It, it, you can see the difference. Mm. You know, it's amazing what they've achieved compared to a lot of our clients because they've got someone dedicated to the to the job. Mm. And that brings us on to the second point, which is managing your website is a full-time job. Oh, yes. um, and that so often websites are under-resourced. And, you know, people are running that the position of web manager, web editor, whatever you want to call them, alongside their day job. Um but and, and also that these people you know where there are kind of dedicated teams like an in in-house design team or whatever they're so caught up in day-to-day maintenance mm. you know that they never really get to take a longer term strategic view of things also to just add insult to injuries often uh and this is no uh, uh you know n- n- i don't mean to offend kind of in-house design team but often companies and, organization- but anyway. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> often companies and organizations Hire junior members of staff. Now, they could be very talented junior members of staff, but they don't have the experience or the authority to push the web strategy forward. They're a kind of implementer, a code monkey, or a pixel pusher or whatever. Mm. You see what I mean? Um, And, I mean, that's not always the case, but it is often the case. And certainly what is the case is they're often not given the authority they need, you know, um, which I think is very true. So I think it's about time that organisations tar- started taking the web seriously and hiring full-time senior web managers to really kind of push their strategy forward. Yeah,
0: because, I mean, you're right. I mean, that, this person also needs to educate all of the other people within the organization as to what the web can deliver. Mm. Um, so, yes, that's more likely to be somebody who's a little bit more senior and has the authority to do that.
2: Mm. Okay, number three is periodic redesign is not enough. Often websites um, are neglected for long periods of time, and they become out of date um, in terms of content, design, and technology, to be honest. And eventually they become an embarrassment to management, um, and so they're forced to step in and sort the problem. Mm. We've talked about this before. Um, And inevitably this leads to kind of complete redesign at considerable expense. But this, as we've said before on the show, is a fundamentally flawed approach because it wastes a huge amount of money because the old site is effectively replaced and all the investment in that old site is lost. Mm. It's also tough on cash flow is because it involves a large expenditure every few years. A better way is continual investment in your site on an ongoing basis and allow that website to evolve over time. Um, It's not only less wasteful, it also is better for the users. As as is pointed out by Camera Mole in his uh, 2005 post, which was good designers redesign, great designers realign. Number four. Mm You have nothing to say on that one? No. No, okay, that's good. Your site
0: cannot appeal to everyone. No, actually, if I had anything to say on point three, it would be no. No, I think um, basically... All companies should completely redesign, chuck, chuck any technology behind it. Yeah. Every, th- two, every two or three years. Two or
2: three years. Yeah. And chuck it all in. Always. And, and hire another agency to come in and build them something yes. brand new. Yes. Somebody like, well, I don't know, Headscape maybe. That, they could do it. They could do it. Yes. They're, they're quite good I hear, yeah. Headscape. Yeah. yeah that's head-scape. So, number four your site cannot appeal to everyone. Um, one of the first questions I always ask clients is who is your target audience? um and the the answer is often this very long rambling list basically everybody yes the whole world um and that inevitably leads to my next question which is which of these groups is the most important and the depressing answer is well they're all equally important really (laughs) um the harsh truth is you can't build a website for everybody um because if you build a website for everybody it appeals to nobody Um, It's important to be focused in your target audience and cater your design and content around them. Now, don't misunderstand me. That doesn't mean that you can ignore other users. I'm not saying that at all. You know, your website should be accessible by all. It shouldn't offend anybody and it shouldn't exclude anybody. But you need to have a clearly defined primary audience that you're going to aim at. Okay, number five. And uh, this is a harsh truth. These are harsh truths, which is that your site is not all about you. The problem with larger organizations is that their sites um, seem to end up being primarily aimed at either the individual website manager or his various colleagues and bosses and people like that. Um, And it's surprising the number of organizations that ignore their users entirely and build their sites around kind of an organizational perspective. And this typically manifests itself in inappropriate design, um, where it's all about the managing director's personal preference, um, and the site ends up being full of internal te- um, terminology and jargon and stuff like that.
0: I've been having this. Well, we've been talking about design process quite a lot with, with uh, potential clients. Yeah. When you're talking about uh, their role in the design process being basically. Uh, I can't remember exactly how it is, but basically they, they come up with, they basically have to ask themselves, does this work for my user? Yeah. Uh, and it's up to the agency to fix that via their skills in design. Yeah. And you can see the light going on with what you're saying with certain people and then them going, well, that's not me. Yeah. I couldn't possibly do that. I have to say if I like the, the red or the green yeah. and, push, and and if it needs moving over a little bit to the right or to the left. And it's a really it's it's actually a little bit scary, you think, well, I've lost this,
2: yeah, because they they feel they have to have this input, but I would argue that yes, you may lose it, and you're mm. you're right, and you probably
0: and that's a good thing,
2: yeah, potentially. because it'll end up costing you yeah, more yeah. money and you won't make money off of it, but I you know I accept that it's hard, especially in mm. times like this, so anyway. Number six, and here's the one that everybody obviously is going to agree with. Design by committee brings death. Death. (laughs) Brings death. That's a little strong,
0: don't you think?
2: No, no, I (laughs) firmly believe it. Brings death in design. (laughs) Um, Okay, I'm not naive here. Um, You know, I recognize that we all know that committees are bad. But I'm not naive enough to suggest that a large corporate website is going to be developed without consultation. That's just kind of fanciful, really. Mm. Um, However, when it comes to design in particular, committees are often the kiss of death. Um, The problem is within large organizations is that there's a lot of internal politics and everybody has to have their say. And everybody's, you know, we have to take everybody's opinion Mm. into consideration, that kind of stuff. But the problem is, is the design is subjective. You know, the things that can influence design are really broad ranging, your cultural background, your gender, gender, your age, even a childhood experience or a physical condition can affect how you perceive a design. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's why as a result that design shouldn't really be about personal opinion, it shouldn't be about a committee's decision, it should be informed by user testing, you know, rather than that kind of personal experience. The problem is, is design by committee becomes about compromise. Um, And you end up getting a group of people in the room that all express contradictory opinions about a piece of design. And then they start trying to find a compromise, to find common ground. And that involved design on on the fly. Um, That's great, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, one person (laughs) likes the blue, another person doesn't like the blue, so you end up going for a lighter shade of blue. You know, it's just (laughs) silly. So, um, and the inevitable consequence of this is bland design that neither appeals to or excites anybody, really.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, number seven is you're not getting value from your web team. So, whether you've got an in-house web design team or use an external agency, many organizations fail to get the most from their web, design, uh, de- well, web designers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important to remember that web designers are more than pixel pushers. They've got a wealth of knowledge um and they know a lot about how users interact with uh, websites but they also understand design techniques including things like grid systems white space color theory and you know all of that kind of stuff so it, it's wasteful really to micromanage them um you know by asking them to make the logo bigger or to move it 3 pixels to the left by doing so you're reducing their role to that of a so- software operator um what you need to do, and I've said this before on the show before, is you need to present problems, not solutions. Yes, that was it. Um, and we talked about, I gave an example about, you know, if you've got a website aimed at teenage girls and the designer goes for a corporate blue color scheme, you know, don't just tell him to change it to pink. You know, tell the designer um, that, you know, you're worried that the target audience might not like the color and leave the designer to find the right solution, which might be or might not be changing it to pink. Anyway, we talked about that enough before. Okay, um, number eight. We're getting there. CMS is not a silver bullet. Our men to this one. This is a really probably the most
0: popular point, actually. Yeah, I'm uh, not
2: surprised either. People clients seem to have amazingly unrealistic expectations of their content management systems. Um, They think that it's going to solve all their content woes, um, but they end up moaning. Because it hasn't, and it won't do that. Mm. The content management system does bring a lot of benefits. It reduces the technical barrier for adding content. It allows more people to add and edit the content. It facilitates faster updates and allows greater control. Mm -hmm. But many content management systems are less flexible than their owners wish, um, and they fail to take into account the kind of changing demands that a website involves. Yes, I, want, I want to change the design of this page because we've got a new campaign, and yeah. I want to
0: have a flashing, swirly exactly. GIF in the corner.
2: Uh, no. And the problem, the other problem that website managers always go on about with their website, uh, with their CMSs, is that they are hard to use. But often, I mean, some web CMSs are hard to use, mm. and, and I'm not taking away from that. But it also can be to do with the fact that they haven't been given adequate training, or that they're not using it regularly enough. That's so they a- kind of, always
0: the problem. Yeah, always. Everyone goes, oh, yeah, yeah, great, during training. And then, uh, yeah, you get a call two months later. "Uh, We need you to add blah, blah, blah to the site. And you're thinking, well, you could do 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 that. that." Yeah, Uh, exactly. um, And they've just forgotten, basically.
2: So um, a content management system may allow you to easily update content, but it does not ensure that the content will be updated. And neither does it ensure the quality of that content. Um, so a, a big part of content management systems are about the internal processes you put in place alongside them to support the content contributors. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll go a long way to being more successful with your content management system, um, you know, by, by putting processes in place rather than just throwing a piece of technology at it. Yep. Number nine, too much content. Wow, there's far too much content on most websites. Um, and that's probably because on large corporate websites, they've evolved over years. And at no stage has anybody reviewed that content and asked whether any of it should be taken away. Um, and sites are full of copy that nobody reads. And this happens, I think, for three reasons. One, there's a fear of missing something. You know, um, people put stuff online because they believe that um, a user should be given whatever they want. Um, unfortunately, you know, that's not always true. Um You've got to, you know, there's a lot more considerations basically there. There's also a fear of users, that users will not understand something. So they kind of overstate something or repeat it or provide endless instructions to users about what they should do. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, users never read this copy, so they're still not going to understand it. Um, and also there's a desire to convince and many website owners are desperate to sell their products or communicate their message and text becomes bloated with sales copy. That doesn't actually convey any valuable information. I mean, Steve Krug in his book, don't make me think talks about getting rid of half the words and get rid of half of them again. Um, and this will help to reduce the overall noise of your site, um, and make it more useful. I've got a point on this. one. Yeah, go for it. um,
0: Large organizations tend to be organized into departments and we're all aware that you shouldn't organize your site around those departments and yeah. I think people are kind of getting that. Yeah. But they're still not getting the fact that what they think is their content belonging to another part of the site or a site that doesn't they don't necessarily look after. So people repeat content because it's theirs. Yes. Um, okay, yes, we understand that it needs to be in the central area of the site, but it's still our content, so we're going to repeat it.
2: Yes. Here. So you end up with duplicated content rather yeah. than just cross-linking. Uh, and that's quite a hard one to get mm-hmm. around. It's politics again. It's always yep. politics down to politics. It is when you get into larger organisations. Yeah. So the final point I wanted to make, and this was the one I was most unsure about whether to include or not in the article and what reaction I'd get, but actually people seem to have just taken it, which is you're wasting your money on social networking. A mm-hmm. bit of a controversial point, this. because well, Everyone. <laughs> uh, uh, no, not everybody, but a lot of people. It's very trendy at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. Um, your web strategy is about more than your website, and I think large organisations are beginning to get this, and they're using tools like Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube um, in order to increase their reach and engage with new audiences. Um, but they're doing so ineffectively. Things like a corporate Twitter account and posting your sales demonstrations on YouTube isn't really grasping the essence of social networking. <laughs> social networking is about engaging with people. So instead of having a um, corporate Twitter account and a corporate blog, encourage your employees to start Twittering and yeah, blogging themselves. Real, real people. Yeah, real people. Provide guidelines and acceptable behavior. Sure, accept that. But expose your members of staff um, to your community and you know show a human side to your business so there we go that about wraps it up i think that the key this sounds like an aa meeting but the first step to overcoming these problems <laughs> is accepting you've got a problem you know we all make mistakes on our website um uh, and we need to recognize that we're facing things like internal politics um and we need to change the way we control our brand um uh, if you do so it will give you a significant Um, competitive advantage Mm. which will make you more effective over the long term so there we go that's my thoughts on the top mistakes by large corporate websites Paul's sermon for the week thus says the BOAG so here we are talking about listener contributions I don't know whether this first bit counts as a listener contribution do we still count Ryan Taylor our producer as a listener
0: well he listens
2: does he do we know that (laughs) Uh, yeah
0: true probably doesn't actually
2: (laughs) hmm So anyway, yes, it's a, well, no, it's a review, isn't it? Well, yes, it is a review. Listener review. I actually think, I think Ryan's getting a backhander for this.
0: You reckon? Oh, yeah. he's, well, he's getting something for free, no doubt.
2: Yeah, he's obviously, there's something going on here. It's all a bit dodge, in my opinion. Yeah, well, fine. But you have to humour him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he's going to do a review of something called Free Agent, um, which they are offering a, a pretty substantial discount to Bioware listeners. So it might be useful to you. I think we ought to get Chris to listen to this bit because it is a piece of accounting software.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay, so here's uh, here's Ryan's review. Hey guys, Ryan here. Um, I've been on the show for a while and Paul's asked me to do a review, so here we go. Uh, we're back in show 131, Stanton and myself answer the listener's question. Uh, about project management and invoicing applications, and I mentioned Free Agent in my uh, list of applications for you guys to have a look at. Now, I'm going to discuss the app in a little bit more detail, because I've really been getting into it and, uh, and using it to its full potential. And uh, FreeAgent basically is just a fully featured online accounting tool. Uh, it's wrapped in a really nice uh, interface, it's comprehensive, it's easy to use. It's aimed at sole traders, partnerships and limited companies and they offer a three day, 30-day uh, day trial to get you started and after that there's a price plan uh, from 15 to £25 pound a month depending on which package you, uh, you pick. Now uh, I'm just a simple code monkey and the thought of managing my taxes and invoices sends shivers down my spine so I love that free agent takes me by the hand and guides me through the whole process. Now accounting is project based which doesn't suit everyone but that really depends on your personal preference. In free agent you just simply create a client, you assign projects to that client and then you add time slips to those projects. You use your hourly rate which you enter when you first set free agent up and this works out your what you are owed and what the tax man's owed. And the whole thing's pretty much that simple. As I've said it's fully featured, there's loads of stuff you can do, you can create invoices, you can manage expenses and mileage. You can upload and analyse your bank statements, you can create logins for your accountant, you can view real-time profit and loss reports, the list goes on and the guys are always adding new stuff. Um, Even if you decide you don't like FreeAgent, you've got the option to export your data and you can use that then in another accounting piece of software. You're not tied to it and there's no fear of losing anything. Now this week sees the launch of a redesign for the FreeAgentCentral.com site and the FreeAgent app itself and I've been one of the lucky ones to get a sneak peep behind the scenes. I can tell you that the guys have put a lot of effort into improving the general interface based on user feedback, they've refreshed the colour scheme to make things easier on the eye for long-term use, and restructured some of the navigation to make moving from projects, time tracking and invoicing much more intuitive. In my opinion, it's definitely worth a look, so if you want to know more about FreeAgent, Head over to freeagentcentral.com, watch the 2 minute video introduction and take the tour. They've even got a number of demos so you can go in and play with the app before you sign up. Even more incentive to have a look will be the 25% discount that the guys are offering to all Boag World listeners. So enter the, new, enter the code NEWFAC when signing up for for the free trial and the discount will last for 6 months once you subscribe. Okay, cheers guys. Okay,
2: so that's, uh, that's um, Ryan's bit of pimping. Have we got? Um,
0: uh, obviously, that bit will have to be uh, transcribed because no one will be able to understand it. But,
2: but it's all in Northern speak. Yeah, I yeah. think he transcribed it himself. Oh, good man. Okay, there, there were a lot of words there that he used <laughs> that I didn't understand. I think he needs. I need. He needs on the fly interpret. You know, <laughs> yeah. so he says a line, and then we repeat it There's afterwards. A BBC Radio Two voice. Yes, he says it. Yes. So anyway, we've got um, we've got a listener contribution to the show as well, which is. Um, Jake Knight sent in a brilliant question, to be honest. And I can't believe we haven't addressed this on the show before. We probably it? have.
0: But in, I don't know, 1982? Yeah, so that's the
2: trouble, isn't it? Jake says, um, what are the five things you want any print stroke graphic designer to know, first and foremost, about designing for the web? I noticed he chose five things. Yeah. He obviously knows <laughs> that I'm into my lists. Yes. So here's your smashing magazine rundown. Yeah, do 50. Cool. I I could come up fifty. I had trouble getting down to five. Actually, so here we go. The the top five things that every web design—sorry, every print designer—needs to know about working with the web. First of all, you need to let go of pixel control. One of the hardest things for print designers, and to be honest, marketeers as well, is to accept that you don't have pixel-perfect control over the web. Things like browsers, resolution monitors, operating systems, video cards can all alter the way your site is displayed. Add to that, the user's ability to change font sizes, colors, and browser dimensions makes it impossible to control anything, really, in the way that you do on print. Mm -hmm. So forget it. Give up. Admit defeat. Stay
0: with print. It's much nicer. Yeah, you don't (laughs) want to get into web
2: design. We don't want competition, do we?
0: Well, no, but I mean, it is. Why would you? Why would you stop? Doing no, see, I, I
2: hated print. I hated the finality. Of yeah, it that's skip. it. Yeah. Don't. has gone, like, shit, I've done it wrong. You can't change it. It's like releasing anything like that. The book was, is a perfect example. Yes. Of that. Except uh, ultimately, there are other people checking that, which yeah. makes me feel a bit better. So there we go. Let go of Pixel Perfect Control. Next, don't be afraid of the code. Many print designers shy away from coding HTML, and they rely on the techie to handle that side of things. To be honest, that's a mistake. Um, you really do need to, gri- you know, do HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. As that's, that's all part of getting to grips with the web, and and it shapes the way you design for better or worse. That's true, um, and it isn't really that hard. HTML in particular is a very simple language, so get stuck in. We talked about web typography earlier, and I want to say to all you print designers out there that web typography isn't so bad. Okay, you haven't got the freedom of print, but typography on the web um can pretty be pretty gorgeous too if you know what you're doing, you it can do can, some cool yes. stuff. Um you've still got things like spacing and kerning and um you know, you can got, you know, the ability to select any font you want as long as you, you know, recognize that that might have to degrade. But you can do things like image replacement as if too. Um and if you want to know more about typography, you're really into typography as a print designer, um, and you know you you can't really quite accept that that typography on the web can be nice. Check out Richard Rutter's blog because he talks a lot about good typography on the web. Um, and I'll put a link in the show notes for bagworld.com For forward podcast forward slash one five three.
0: Clagnut dot something.
2: Yes, it? can't remember. Um, fa- final point. Remember, is this a final point? I no, it's ask not a final. Him why point. he's
0: called Clagnut.
2: I have no idea. We need to ask him.
0: That's what oh, I said. It was you.
2: All right. Yes, yeah. I agree. So number f- uh, my point number four is it's an interactive environment. One of the most common mistakes of print design is to focus on aesthetics and forget usability. The web is interactive, people. He that's says. the main one. That's, that's the main me. thing you got to take into account, really. Yeah. You know, it's more like signage design than brochure design, um, and your job is to help users complete tasks, not just to produce pretty graphics. Although that is cool too. Final point is, and this is a bit of an encouragement really, right? Because, you know, it's a lot of, we focus a lot on the stuff that's different, but your skills are transferable. Um, Everybody goes on so much about the differences between print and web, and it's easy to get demoralised and conclude that you're never going to be able to make the switch. However, in reality, most of your skills are transferable. Things like layout, color theory, typography, and composition are just some of the things that, that are universal, no matter what medium. So there you go, Jake. Five nuggets of advice for those considering moving from print uh, to the web.
0: Very nice. Thank you very much,
2: Paul. Have you you got a joke to entertain us at the end of today's show? I have, but I'm slightly concerned that I've said it before. Ah, I'll tell you. Because I listen so intently to all of your jokes, I remember them all. I actually write them down in a special joke diary. Stop
0: talking now. Okay. (laughs) Um, the, The thing is, with the jokes, people do send me jokes. Ian Lasky, who this is from, sends me more than anyone else. Uh, and I kind of rely on the fact that they haven't sent them to me in the past or somebody else hasn't sent me the same joke. Yes. So it's just like ones that have come in recently. Oh, well, that one's all right. I can use that one. But anyway, here we go. Saturday morning, I got up early, quietly dressed, made my lunch, grabbed the dog and slipped quietly into the garage. I hooked up the boat to the truck and proceeded to back out into a torrential downpour. The wind was blowing 50 miles an hour, so I pulled back into the garage, turned on the radio. Turned on the radio and discovered that the weather would be bad all day. Oh, you haven't done this one before. I went back into the house, quietly undressed, and slipped back into bed. I cuddled up to my wife's back, now with a different anticipation, and whispered, the weather out there is terrible. My wife replied, can you believe my stupid husband is out fishing in that? No!
2: <laughs> That's very good. Yeah, there we, so go. There we go. I, I go. like that one. That's terrible. That's promoting... Promiscuity and, and unfaithfulness in marriage, and I disprove it wholeheartedly. So there we go. Thank you very much for today's show. I'm uh, I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, we will return again next week. No promiscuity. No promiscuity.
0: <laughs> you puritan. You. I am. No drinking.
2: No smoking. No nothing. I was trying to wrap up. You always do this. You always interrupt the wrap up. Mm. Go on then. You do it. What wrap up the show? Bye. Um, no. Uh, what are you doing with that? I can't remember. Uh,
0: see you next week. Yeah. Bye.
2: Hello, world of Boag. It's like being on David Letterman. Visit Boagworld.com forward slash contact. Call 020 8133 5122 or join our forum at Boagworld.com forward slash forum. The world famous award winning Boagworld.com.